Let's uh, continue to gather in and thank you all for being here. I'm really excited for us to talk about this today. And we'll, we haven't put it in the mail yet, but we will put something this week in the mail so that you'll have a written form of what you're hearing uh, to check it out. And, uh, but we didn't send it as, as quickly as the last one just because uh, we're trying to get it in good time before this week. <clears throat> all right, I'll pray and then we'll see if we've got a quorum and all that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for gathering us by your mighty spirit. Thank you for your work throughout the centuries to gather your church. Lord, to put us in fellowships, as you call them, households of your people, families. Thank you, Lord, that you constitute us one family. Thank you that you bless us in community. And that, Lord, it is as we grow together as we together uh, by your spirit uh, come to you that we understand the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It is not on our own. We thank you for making us one in this way and that Lord as one, as Paul teaches in Ephesians, that we are the, uh, the anticipation of the new creation we are the announcement of new creation. In our unity and our love, uh, the world is getting some taste of what will happen in that final day where Paul says all things will be united in Christ, brought together, brought under utter shalom forever. Lord, we pray you would ever bless us with shalom, ever bless us with wholeness and unity and devoted love and humility and patience and forbearance with one another so that more and more we truly would announce even to the angelic powers the wisdom of God in creating us as a people and even an announcement of the final doom of of those powers for your spirit is at work to create a new people forever. Thank you for the wonderful privilege, Lord, of belonging to your people. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of being with these particular people, the saints of Fort Worth Press. Thank you for your uh, dear, your, your wonderful kindness uh, to me that I could be here. And we pray that you'd bless us today. And Lord, that your name would be lifted up. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we need a clerk for our meeting. Uh, who? <laughs> Okay, I think by acclamation, we'll let Steve uh, be our clerk. Um, Are you the only clerk? Let's see, once you came onto the session, has there ever been another clerk for, there has been, okay. Sorry, that was, didn't pertain to anything. Um, Do we have a quorum, Mr. Clerk? We have a quorum. We have a quorum, okay. We are ready to roll. Plus 100. Plus 100, okay, more than a quorum. Um, Let me give just a little bit of history, uh, just a minute, to tell you how we got here to talk about the future. Of course, last week we tried to summarize the past. I hope you got the 
the letter about that and could go over it yourself and then turning the corner to my stepping down in a couple of years. But now we're going to talk about uh, what are the specifics, strategic initiatives, and values that the elders want to put before you. In fact, elders, deacons, leaders, men and women want to put before you. Uh, This really took uh, shape last January when uh, Steve and Jacob and Philip and Ryan and myself did some little mini retreats and did a whole lot of work on the whiteboard and tried to write down what we felt like the real values, who are we as a church, uh, what have we been as a church, what do we want to be as a church, you know, those kinds of questions. Um, that got a little sidetracked with the things that came out last, you know, February and spring. But in the summer and into the fall, we got started back in earnest. We got tremendous help uh, from two of our deacons, David Steed and Chris Jordan, who served on a team to uh, help us navigate this and help us uh, put together uh, something that would move us forward. And then two of our elders, Scott Hames and Scott uh, Wade. So uh, I just can't say enough about them. And then we got great help in presenting this in a kind of infant form to the deacons and to the women's leaders. Um, had uh, Head of missions were there, men's leaders. We got really valuable feedback. In fact, some major components that we turned around and did differently because of the women's suggestions, actually. Um, might have been a minor disaster had they not <laughs> spoken their wisdom into what we were doing. So we're just so thankful. We're trying to act differently as a session and not act in silo form as maybe we have some in the past and try to hear more voices you know, before we bring something forward. So I just want to thank all of those people who have uh, helped us in this. Um, and if there are any problems, you can blame them and not me. No, it's the opposite, of course. Any problems are my own. So I want to just rehearse for you. I know you see it in the bulletin. You may not read it every time, but uh, uh, our mission, Nurturing a Joy for Loving God and Loving People by Proclaiming, Believing, Living Out the Gospel of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to get at this uh, more boldly, uh, to give this some punch and clarity and a greater reality, a greater way to measure ourselves, uh, we have crystallized some values from this mission statement. Values tend to be like, bam, 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 bam. And we hope that this will help you. Somebody says, well, what's, what's Fort Worth Prez about? What are y'all? What do y'all? And you can say, well, here it is. This is what we are. This is what we do. Hopefully, it's easier to remember than even this uh, mission statement, but it really captures the mission statement, okay? I think it gives some punch. It gives some forward motion. Uh, it, these values, for me, dig into my life uh, a, a bit and uh, challenge me in many ways. So, uh, we're underscoring that joy part of our mission statement, n- nurturing a joy and so our values are, are these, that we, and, and, and I'll give you a final form of it uh, toward the end, but for right now, we enjoy God, creation, one another, our neighbors, working for the welfare of the city. Okay? 
this breaks down nurturing a joy for loving God and loving others, but it gives you some concrete things. We, we enjoy God. We enjoy creation. We enjoy one another. We enjoy our neighbors. We enjoy working for the welfare of the city. That's what we are. That's what we do as a church. Um, it gives... Anyway, so let me talk about these a little bit. Uh, look at each one of these uh, briefly. And this, of course, is a review of things we talk about all the time, but I hope... Uh, as we talk about them together, we can get a, a better feel for how we want to lay these uh, out in our lives. So, of course, we enjoy God. This is a lively way, I think, of saying that we worship uh, or glorify God. For instance, it can be a vigorous way to think about worship instead of we're going to church to say, I'm going to enjoy God together with God's people. That's what I'm going to do today, to enjoy God with, with his people. Uh, the Bible, you know, uses food analogies many times. So we could say, I go this morning to savor God with his people, to relish God with his people. If you just say that and think that and pray that, it gives you a different feel, you know. There's the active uh, effort to enjoy God. I want to relish the beauty and goodness of God with his people. <clears throat> Have this longing when you come to worship. Lord, I want to delight in you ever more deeply with God's people. Fill my heart with happiness in you as I pray and confess and sing and hear your word. We enjoy God in worship. There's an edge to that. There's a challenge to that. Uh, but there's a beauty to me and a richness in it as well. But, of course, it's not only in our public and private worship, but we want to enjoy God in all we do. Uh, you've heard me many times say, cultivate awe, A-W-E, cultivate wonder in your life. And as we do our work or go to school, we, for instance, we enjoy God's favor in Christ. We enjoy his presence in love. We take joy that he's always committed to our good. We take joy in his sovereign rule over all things and over our own circumstances. To enjoy God means that we trust him. We depend on him. We take comfort in him. We're encouraged by his promises. We take joy in what he's done for us in Christ. We take joy in his wonderful purpose for our lives. Even in the darkest tragedies... We take joy in knowing that he is with us and knowing that his good purposes will never fail, <clears throat> that he will make us like Christ, that he will use us to manifest Christ. So to enjoy God means that we as well seek him in his word where he's wonderfully revealed. We seek to be like him. We seek to obey him and serve him. We enjoy God. This is kind of the umbrella for everything else, isn't it? It's the root of everything. And it's, it's a really short way and kind of a, I think, a, 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 not only a challenging, but kind of an intriguing way to say to someone, our church is about enjoying God. You know, well, what does that mean? How do you do that? What? <coughs> Talk to me about that. And, of course, Nehemiah, remember, said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I believe that for any good we will do as a church, any good that we'll do in our lives, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. That's what makes it true, rich, and wonderful obedience. But we enjoy creation. Now, 
I'll have to say, this was not originally one of our uh, values that we were going to set before you. Uh, But we have Chris Jordan to thank, to just be insistent, um, because he voiced what uh, I've seen for many years uh, at Fort Worth Prez, that when people talk to me about how they've been changed at Fort Worth Prez, that the thing I've heard more than anything else is their have a change in their view of creation, which means also a change in their view of work, about all the responsibilities, about our bodies, about the resurrection, about new creation, what the new creation means and how that defines this creation and how we engage this creation. And uh, I, I know Chris himself had found, found much relief and, and refreshment uh, hearing these things uh, in a different way at our church, and we're, we're, we're thankful to him. I think he's exactly right. It, and really, this is kind of a, a statement of what we, as a church, we do value this. You know, we, we relish this. This is important to us. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit. But people <clears throat> who have been told up till coming to our church that the meaning of their work is that it provides money for missions, Right? So they hear here that, no, the Bible teaches that in your work, you image God himself. You reflect his glory. Your work is holy, just like uh, our work is holy as ministers. Your work itself is full of dignity and meaning and eternal significance. I had a friend years ago who said, you know, there are only two things that last in this world, people and the word of God. And it's a way to say everything else is, you know, meaningless, doesn't last, doesn't have any significance in the future. But work does because we will work in the new creation. There's continuity in that. And as I've told you, my work's going to be done, <laughs> but a lot of other work won't be. Mine's the temporary work, you know, as a minister. So people learn that their bodies are not just temporary houses for the real part of us. That's our soul. But that we are body, just like we're soul. This is, this is a refreshing message in our society, in a Christian society, and society in general. That's why Jesus came to earth. He took a human body to himself. He died in that body and was resurrected in that body to rescue us soul and body. That's our message. We value that. We value creation. Paul says that our adoption is not complete until we experience the redemption of our bodies. Bodies that will be just like Christ's resurrection body. Bodies of glory and power. Where in some way, we all become superheroes in the new creation. Don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but the words are amazing as, as it's described. And of course, the rest of creation is not left out. Creation will be set free like a young Forrest Gump running out of his leg braces, right? And creation will run wild and free like we've never seen it. And so will we in the new creation. That's, that's a value that we have. That's something that is unique in many ways, but it's the Bible's message. And of course, we enjoy creation, By God's grace, we're set free to delight in this creation and the good that God has enabled human beings to create in their culture. We're not slaves of creation and culture. We don't make an idol of it by God's grace, but we enjoy them in the presence of God. 
to be set free to live in gratitude for a warm shower, for cumulus clouds, for seals and eagles and dragonflies, for bridges and jets and computers, for jasmine and pecans and crashing waves, for Monet and Tolkien, for comets and elephants, for Jason Isabel's deeply meaningful love song with the surprising title, If We Were Vampires. Check it out if you don't know it. It's a great song. I would never have thought of, you know, song with vampires in it. But this perspective colors how we think about our work, about the arts, science, history, literature, economics, about culture as well as creation. And our active enjoyment of creation in these good things, it not only informs our own gatherings and our relationships and our joy in each other as we talk about his creation, but it gives us this common ground with those outside of Christ. Our vigorous enthusiasm for creation and culture can provide a foundation for our relationships with unbelievers, even an attraction to unbelievers. It's an observable way we can communicate our enjoyment of God. That's why I think it's so important to put those together. We enjoy God. We enjoy creation. This can be a wonderful attraction to people as they see our vigorous enthusiasm. And just briefly, it gives us this foundation of working for the welfare of the city. More on that in a minute. But the church is the beachhead for new creation. Think of yourself, the beachhead of the new creation. We're in anticipation, as I prayed, of the unity and love of the new creation. And we're seeking to be a part of God's work to extend his kingdom against the curse until that final day when all things will be made new. That's the importance of creation and new creation, the perspective it gives us. So those are our first two values. We value, we, we enjoy God. We enjoy creation. And the next three I'll take together, so you're thinking we won't be through here. But, um, because they all are about people, right? They're all about people. We enjoy one another. Uh, this is a, a, a challenge and an encouragement to enjoy one another, to enjoy the people of God. Paul says I, to the Romans, I'm coming to you with joy to be refreshed in your company. Paul tells of the Macedonians, in their abundance of joy, they overflowed in generosity. And we want to value this, that God would give us an abundance of joy in him so that we can have a glad generosity toward one another. Right? A happy generosity toward one another. Um, This gladly serving one another and sacrificing for one another and showing hospitality, visiting, calling, writing, praying. Paul writes to the Philippians, he prays always with joy for them. That can be us, right? That can be us. We find joy in praying for one another. That's what God wants to do in us, to have joy in each other. Of the nine fruit of the Spirit, you know, in Galatians 5, uh, let's see, I'll say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And many people view the, the eight that follow love as just parts of love, right? Kind of an exposition of love. These are the features or aspects of love. And, of course, who's the right-hand man of love? It's joy. It's joy. 
I don't have time for this, but I give in new members classes, many of you remember the illustration of you call one lady to have her keep your kids while you're going to be gone on the weekend speaking somewhere. And you call another lady. This lady is grumpy about it. This lady is thrilled about it. They both take care of your kids, but how do you feel? You know, you feel despised, you know, everything. You feel loved because somebody takes joy. Imagine me showing up at a, uh, in a serious hospital situation and walking in and saying, you can't believe how far I had to walk. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming, Darwin. You know, it's just, it, it's the joy that you bring to the table. It's the joy you bring to your wife or your husband or your children or to your parents, really. I mean, this is one of the great medicines and nourishments we give to each other is the happiness that we can take in loving one another. I believe God wants us to be this way as a church. I think he has in many ways made us this way as a church. This is one of our values. We enjoy one another. Sometimes when you just say, we're going to love each other, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. But to me, this kind of digs in and asks us that question. With that person who has wronged you, are you going to take joy in serving that person? It's one thing to say, yeah, I love my wife. That can be like, yeah, I love my wife, you know. Or am I taking joy in loving my wife? So that's why I think these are important things. So prayer then. Give me joy in loving your people. Love gives you this energy and thoughtfulness and creativity and sacrifice. And how much would this help us in our thinking about our neighbors? We enjoy our neighbors. Think of the challenge of that statement. Instead of hiding from my neighbor, avoiding my neighbor, being scared of my neighbor, or irritated with my neighbor... I find joy in serving my neighbor. Wow. We'll get to this more because this is going to be a major event, hopefully, in our church. That I could grow to enjoy meeting my neighbor, to enjoy hearing my neighbor's story, to enjoy entering into the struggles of my neighbor, enjoy inviting my neighbor over. So enjoy God and creation and one another and our neighbor and then, of course, working for the welfare of the city. Jeremiah 29, I I quoted this at the end of last week. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare. And the word there is shalom, right? Wholeness, uh, flourishing, prosperity, have plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is spoken to Israel as they're about to go into exile. It's pretty significant. I know the plans I have for you. It looks pretty dark on the horizon. You're going into exile. But these are the plans I have for you. But right in that context, he says this. When you're there, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, squash, tomatoes, corn. Uh, Take wives, have families. And seek the welfare or the shalom of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. Isn't it interesting that he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans of shalom. But he ties it to our involvement, our concern for, our prayers for 
the shalom of the city. We can't ignore this, can we? We mustn't. God commands us in this direction. Um, So as we crystallize these values, uh, I think it may begin to point out some areas for us. And our two strategic initiatives that we're emphasizing, and we think these are kind of holes or gaps in our church, one is raised by the very fact that we need to be different kinds of neighbors, different people in many ways. We have to pray. We have to repent. We have to be a different church in many ways. Um, and so prayer is going to be a huge block that we want to put in place. Not that we're a prayerless church. But I'll get more to that. But I want to start with uh, the neighboring part. We feel like even in working with the welfare of the city, by things like 90 kids on Wednesday uh, and many other things, there's some forward motion in that. But we think our real lack, as we're going to get to it, is our neighboring and seeing people come to know Christ in by the hundreds, maybe. Um, I'm reminded of Justin Rose, and I presented this illustration to the women's board and I ran it by them and they said, yes, use it. Okay. So even though it's Justin Rose and uh, it's golf. So this past year, Justin Rose won the great prize on the PGA tour, which was the FedEx cup at the end. You know, there are four big tournaments at the end and he won $10 million. That's all in one, you know, final sweep. Um, But what's interesting about this is that for the, for the past four years, the average age of the winner has been 25 years old. Justin Rose is 38. In addition to that, he had not even won a tournament in the last two years. And, he, and they say that when golfers can do one thing better than others, they just tend to say, oh, that's my golf game. Well, he's a great off the tee, getting to the greens. He's one of the best, but on the greens... He ranked 97 in their little system, 97th. He moved last year because he got special coaching, special emphasis and work. He went from 97th to 17th. And he went from winning no tournaments in the last two years to winning several tournaments in the whole FedEx. Okay, all that to say this. Uh, Rose's long-term time friend, Paul Casey, put it this way. Your weaknesses are your opportunities. I love that statement. So Rose couldn't improve his drive, but he could improve his putting, you know. And we think maybe two of our greatest weaknesses are prayer and neighboring. That's our opportunity, okay? That's our opportunity. So in neighboring, we have to ask this serious and, and these especially hit me hard, uh, I'm I should be more convicted than anybody about this because I'm the, you know, leader of this church. But we've had so few adult professions of faith in my 15 years here. And I think that's pretty much true of the whole life of this church. It's really true of the whole PCA, which is a sad thing to say about our denomination. Some people just think, well, that's just not what you do. You guys take people that were Baptists and Methodists and other people and you build them up. Well, we don't mind that role. 
But I think what Jesus says is make disciples of the nations, right? That's what he said to do. Why are we not doing this? We think a large part of this, or at least some part of this, is that we have not uh, engaged in, with real, live, warm friendships, ongoing servanthood and kindness and hospitality, and created context after context in which we can speak the gospel to our neighbors, and they can hear the gospel. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to see people baptize regularly who never were in the church? Another adult being baptized on a Sunday morning. Doesn't that sound foreign? Why should it be? Why should it be? That's the challenge I'm putting before you and me and saying, this is a huge hole in our ministry. And we as the leaders of the church are, are challenging ourselves and you that we've all got to take a step forward. One of the great, uh, at least the beginning step, was Ryan's class, The Art of Neighboring, a Sunday school class. We don't want that to be the last thing, but we want that to be the first thing that we begin to think about. Maybe Art of Neighboring will become a a small group requirement next year. You know, we're we're looking at the ways that we want to do this. Because actually, as you'll see, we're going to roll out prayer more directly and early. And in the wake of prayer and God asking God to change us, then maybe we can become a neighboring church because of God's grace in our life. So that we, we see that as a, an important order of things, helplessly depending upon God in prayer and seeing God transform us to be a neighboring uh, church. Uh, I remember uh, in Deacon's meeting, Dowell uh, just exclaiming one time, and all the deacons remember this, just exclaiming, there are tens of thousands of people around us. And he said, we have such water and life and beauty, and they don't know it. It was just wonderful to hear him cry out and, and the hope and the expectation that we could be that church, you know. We could see people come to know Christ. Christ urged us, the fields are white under harvest. They are. They are. The question is, where are we, right? What can God enable us to be and to do? And I'm not, I'm not trying to dump guilt. I'm trying to say, hey, this is what God can make us be. This is, this is our opportunity, see? We, we can go from 97th to 17th, <laughs> maybe in this. And see, here's, here's the real difficulty of our mission statement in this. We're nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people. And I'm afraid I and we, not everybody here, but those people don't include non-Christians. That's a nice little, you know, yeah, we nurture joy for loving people, but it's not maybe including the lost. And can we say we're obeying the second commandment even? If we are not loving the lost, if we're not dying to our fears, dying to our insecurities, dying to our pride, dying to our comforts, dying to our entertainment, dying to everything that's blocking the way. And we're not just saying go out there and do it, but we're we're saying we've got to have a transformation from God. We've got to have God's grace in our lives. Isn't it true 
that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, does that not include ministry to unbelievers? You are his workmanship. You're a workmanship for the people in this city, for the people in this area, for the people in your neighborhoods, the people you work with. You're God's workmanship created to do good and to love them. So, as I mentioned, we want to have further Sunday school classes, Art of Neighboring, maybe some other books on this. Uh, We think maybe the next January mini-series will be on that as well. Other ways to incorporate this, as I said, in small group and the like. But your neighbors include, of course, people you work with, parents you meet because your kid's in the same school or play on the same team or they're in choir or band or whatever. Your literal neighbors or we are thinking now the staff had a good, healthy conversation about our apartments, about uh, just I'm so (laughs) I feel so guilty about this. It's like this should have been the first day I got here. We're thinking, okay, we're going to visit each apartment, talk to the managers of each apartment, uh, sit down with them and say, how can we serve you? How can we serve you? If you want to join us in that, talk to me. You know, so, you know, I'd like to be a part of that. I'd like to go around to the apartments. And, sit. and how are we as a church here? This is our visible place. How are we neighboring? You know, what do we do? These are questions that we've got to begin asking ourselves. Last page. Um, Prayer. This will receive the first emphasis, as I said. First, of course, that we would enjoy all these things. This is quite a challenge to say these are our values. It's one thing to say those are our values. It's another thing to live them out, isn't it? You know, it's just, wow, do we need God's grace? Because you can't just snap your fingers and be joyful. You can go through the motions of stuff. You can show up at worship. You can, you know. But to have joy in this, to have a delight in God, this is his mighty, miraculous work in us. And I'm reminded of, of David in his great psalm of confession, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. He's got to do that. And then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. See, the place of joy and a willing spirit that God gives us. And then we begin to minister and love people in new ways that is transformative. We have to be a different people. We must repent of not loving people. We must ask that the spirit make us into the image of Christ. Look how Christ dealt with the lost. The Samaritan woman, the blind man, how he dealt with people so lovingly and tenderly and gave himself for them. This is the emphasis of the New Testament also. Not over and over, speak the gospel, speak the gospel, speak the gospel, but love the people around you and create that atmosphere and context where you can share the gospel in natural ways and you're still friends afterwards. Not like I used to do, you know, get to know somebody, dump my load, move on to the next one, dump my load, move on to the next one. But to love people, To love them after they say, I don't want to come to your church. To love them after they laugh at you. To love them when they reject you. Love them. So this is the kind of thing you hear in the epistles over and over again. Rarely any mention of you've got to speak to people. But it's assumed 
that you will open the door for such speech by this kind of love. Like in Titus 3, be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy to all people. All right? Or Colossians 4, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Or Galatians 6, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Yes, but everyone. What a challenge. What a beautiful call on our lives. And this is, uh, you know, embracing God's mission. It's not only praying for each of us personally, but to pray, for instance, Psalm 139. uh, Search me and know me and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray that for our congregation. Search us. Search us, know us, see if there be any hurtful way, patterns, perspectives as a congregation. Lead us in the everlasting way, Lord, the way of Christ. And then there's just the need for prayer. You know, we've got some specific needs of prayer, but the need of prayer in general. Uh, One book that we're going to recommend, it's even being considered for some future Bible studies and the like, is Paul Miller's book on prayer. Paul Miller, in his seminars on prayer, for years now has said the statistics are this, 85% of the people that show up, and they're coming to a prayer conference, right? (laughs) What about the percentage of those that don't want to go to a prayer conference, right? But these are the people that want to come to a prayer conference. He says 85% of them really don't have a prayer life. And then he said, if you're asking how many churches have a prayer, congregational prayer, a rich congregational prayer life, that's even worse percentage, you know. I am guilty in not leading us in prayer in this way. We want to help and nurture this. Uh, You know, if you're going to run, the best thing to do is to get a partner. And I don't want to run, but Sally's going to be at that post at 530 and I've got to be there, you know. We want to be that for you. You know, we want to nurture and help and and facilitate and model uh, prayer. You know, we can ask the question, in any success that we have, if we're not a praying community, what's the nature of that success, right? And Paul Miller says, imagine going to a prayer therapist, okay? Um, You, uh, and he he speaks to you about... uh, he says, tell me about God. And you speak of sonship. You speak of forgiveness and favor. And then the therapist says, you've done a wonderful job of describing the doctrine of sonship. Now tell me, what is it like for you to be with your father? What's it like for you to talk with this father? And he said, the typical effort of many of us is you start for 15 seconds. Your mind wanders. You try again. Your mind wanders. And you finally just give up and say, oh, I just can't do this, you know. We, we, we know how difficult. We, uh, our natural desire from creation in the image of God is to speak to God. Uh, our inability to pray comes from the fall. Evil has marred our image. We want to talk to God but can't. Miller says it's as though we had a stroke spiritually. 
And we want to see that healed in our lives. Um, we've, I feel like I have not led you in good ways. Um, so, here are just some of the things, just to mention in rapid fire, and we're done. Many of you have seen and begun to use our extensive guide for praying for our church. Uh, and we're revising it now. We're going to have it out in a new form in a couple of weeks. Um, and you can take this book and pray through all aspects of our church's ministry. And we're going to have days of prayer planned over the next uh, several months, at least one a month, where you can come and with other brothers and sisters walk through the church and pray for the different ministries. People who've done this already have, have spoken of how helpful it is to get a grip on the different aspects of our ministries and to begin to pray for these things. We've got to pray for one another. We've got to pray for our church. Um, we're, we want to have days of fasting with guides. What is fasting? How do we do it? Uh, for our committees, we want our committees and our deacons and elders not just to start their meetings with prayer, but for this to be a new purpose of meeting. They meet to pray and to do their work. But just to think differently, you see. One of our, part of our work is to pray as a church. And I want to be at, uh, attend these meetings for the next several months try to model, try to give guides, try to help us. How do we pray for great redemptive things for our church? Uh, how do we pray large prayers for Christ's redemption? Um, we want to learn how to be expectant in prayer, to pray like Jacob, who said, we will not let you go until you uh, bless us. Just this weekend, we saw a great seminar by our own uh, former Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth Haynes, who was a former RUF intern at TCU. And it's a whole, uh, several books on pray for me. And this is intergenerational prayer for one another. And the results in people's lives have just been incredible. And this is another thing we're going to try to roll out. Uh, and where there will be, you know, hundreds of people, younger, praying for older and older for younger. And getting to know each other because of this and bringing us unity. We'll have a guide for children to prayer. The PCA has one as well. Um, we're going to teach the Lord's Prayer starting today, okay? Ryan's first sermon today is Introduction to the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do the Psalms in the summer. Uh, this may shape uh, our Bible studies, the women's Bible study next year. They're considering how this uh, notion of prayer. So, with, uh, with this incorporation of prayer... and. Uh, uh, owe this language to Scott Hames, which he pieced all this together. So we would set before this as our kind of values. We are a praying community that enjoys God, one another, creation, our neighbor, working for the welfare of the city. That defines us. We are a praying community that enjoys these things under God's grace. So... Please continue to pray for us for wisdom. And the worst thing in the world is to talk about where we're going and then not go there. Right? So pray for diligence, care, wisdom, um, and courage for us to move forward in these new ways. It's all by God's grace. May he give it to us. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you to continue to change us, to continue to transform us, to continue, Lord, your workmanship of us because 
Those words in Ephesians are y'all words, plural. He has made you as a church, as his people, to be a workmanship created for good works. Lord, we as a body, you've created us to do good in this world. Oh, Lord, may we use all the opportunity that you've given us. May we see, Lord, hundreds of people who don't know Christ come to know Christ in the next years. Lord, make us a church that neighbors well, that prays, that enjoys these things to the glory of God. Make us, Lord, a light on the hill. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. We'll be answering the questions, so please, if are there sheets back there for well, send in my email, but continue if this raises further questions, we are uh, going to be considered we have already uh, talked about uh, the few questions that have been asked, but we just encourage you keep uh, any things any questions that you have, please send them in and, and we'll uh, definitely deal with them. Thank you.